Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. The Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was a major victory for the pro-life movement, and many states have passed laws banning or restricting abortion since that historic day four weeks ago. But in New Mexico, where abortion is legal through all nine months of pregnancy, pro-lifers have their work cut out for them. There are currently six abortion businesses in the state, but pro-lifers predict that number could triple or even quadruple. In Las Cruces on Tuesday, close to 400 people showed up in triple-digit temperatures to rally outside an abortion business planning to open in the city of 103,000 people near the border of both Texas and Mexico. Mark Cavalier, executive director of the Southwest Coalition for Life, describes New Mexico's changed circumstances. And New Mexico has been dealt a blow. Uh, Our nation has taken a huge leap forward, and we are so grateful for that, and we praise God for that. But New Mexico has taken a blow, and I know so many of you, and including me, it's been overwhelming. It seems like every few days we hear about a new abortion corporation coming into New Mexico. We've seen, um, we're going from five abortion businesses in the state of New Mexico to tripling that number, possibly quadrupling that number. And it's, it's just been overwhelming. And I know many of you have been wondering, what can we do? The Southwest Coalition organized the protest as a sort of greeting for Diane Zerzis, owner of the Las Cruces Women's Health Organization. Her name is probably familiar to you, as she was also the owner of the Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Mississippi abortion business known as the Pink House, whose challenge of a 15-week law in that state led to the Supreme Court decision on Roe. The Jackson facility continued doing abortions until Mississippi enacted a total ban, and then Durzis moved the furniture and medical equipment from Jackson to Las Cruces and put her pink house on the market. I've been doing this, I was trying to think, and it's 46 years, so I'm the past. Like the pink house soon will be the past. Durzis, whose wealth is estimated at $5 million, also owns a booming abortion business in Georgia, but her Alabama enterprise was not as successful. On January 21, 2012, pro-life activists with the Charismatic Episcopal Church for Life, or CEC for Life, photographed two abortion patients being carried out a back door and placed on gurneys in a trash-strewn alley of the New Woman All-Women Abortuary in Birmingham. 911 records obtained by the organization Operation Rescue indicated that both women suffered from overdoses of drugs administered by improperly trained staff. A subsequent investigation by Alabama health authorities uncovered health and safety violations that filled 76 pages of a report. Inspectors also discovered that a third woman had to be taken to the hospital on the same day as the two women who had been overdosed. The facility was ordered closed in April 2012, with the Alabama Department of Public Health ruling the killing center was a repeat offender too dangerous to continue operating. But there's too much profit to be made in abortion, so Durzis and abortionist Bruce Norman reopened in February 2013 without proper licensing. Operation Rescue and CEC for Life reported the illegal operations and the clinic was ordered closed in August 2013. Durzis put the building on the market in 2014. Las Cruces currently has one abortion business, Full Circle Health Center, but it only provides the drugs for chemical abortions. Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains also plans to open a chemical abortion center in the city. The Durzis facility is the only one planned thus far that will offer surgical abortion. Mike Seibel, an Albuquerque attorney who represents women and families in wrongful death lawsuits against abortionists, spoke at the rally of the legacy of abortion in his state. 
And what has happened in New Mexico is in 19, late 1960s, we were given a legacy by another generation, a legacy of abortion that has lasted over 50 years. We are one of the most pro-abortion states in the country. We have gone from 4,000 abortions in 2019 to 5,800 in 2020. We are going to go 2021. It's going to be close to 9,000 abortions. 2022, almost 15,000 abortions. There are going to be 16 to 21 clinics that have come into this state. There will be 20 to 30,000 abortions in this state. That is the stinky dirty legacy that we are going to have. We are going to have the abortion villains from all across this country, like Diane Durses, Whole Women's Health. We already have Curtis Wayne Boyd, the late-term capital king of America. We are going to fill this state with abortion clinics, and it's our job to say no more to this legacy. The buck stops here. But working against the best intentions of pro-lifers are many of the state's lawmakers, including Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who signed an executive order this week to protect access to abortion. As long as I'm governor, abortion will continue to be legal, safe, and accessible in New Mexico, she said. Lujan Grisham is up for re-election in November. Mark Cavalier of the Southwest Coalition said pro-lifers in New Mexico, while facing daunting challenges, also have an opportunity to do more to support women and enable them to choose life. At the rally, he announced that Guiding Star, a nationwide chain of care centers focused on empowering women, will open next door to the abortion mill. We will take a closer look at Guiding Star next week here on Pro-Life Primetime News. And now we turn to political news around the country. For the first time ever, Republicans have surpassed Democrats in registered voters within the state of Kentucky. New numbers show nearly 2,500 more Kentuckians have registered to vote as Republicans than those who are registered to vote as Democrats. According to the Republican Party of Kentucky, when voters first sent Senator Mitch McConnell to the United States Senate in 1984, the state had 1.3 million registered Democrat voters, compared to just 525,060 Republicans. The GOP holds every federal seat in Kentucky, except for the 3rd Congressional District in Louisville. The GOP also holds every statewide constitutional office, except for governor. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, was criticized recently after attacking crisis pregnancy centers in the wake of the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Warren spoke with reporters about abortion and soon turned the conversation towards crisis pregnancy centers and their numbers in the country. She then suggested that Congress needs to work to shut them down. In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts, and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that, Warren said. Multiple Twitter users called out Warren for demonizing crisis pregnancy centers, as well as encouraging unconstitutional action. Not going to sugarcoat this, it's evil. If I knew nothing about Elizabeth Warren but the lies she tells about pregnancy centers, I'd know enough, Koch Institute senior fellow Casey Maddox tweeted. Washington Post columnist Megan McArdle wrote, 
Elizabeth Warren has a lot of unconstitutional ideas. Washington Examiner reporter Jeremiah Poff joked, new talking point is helping a pregnant woman take care of herself and her baby is torture. Texas is suing the Biden administration over guidance released telling the nation's doctors they're protected by federal law to terminate a pregnancy as part of emergency treatment and threatening to defund hospitals that don't perform these procedures. The Biden administration's guidance states that federal law requires doctors to perform abortions for pregnant women in emergency rooms when it is the stabilizing treatment necessary to resolve a medical emergency, including treatments for ectopic pregnancy, hypertension, and preeclampsia. The Biden administration also warned retail pharmacies that they must fill prescriptions for pills that can induce abortion or risk violating federal civil laws. These two recent actions pit the federal executive branch against state governments after the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. The Biden administration seeks to transform every emergency room in the country into walk-in abortion clinics, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said in a statement announcing the lawsuit. Texas is one of several states with laws banning abortion already in, in effect or trigger laws that will soon ban the medical procedure. Texas will soon ban all abortions from the moment of fertilization with narrow exceptions only to save the life of a pregnant patient or prevent substantial impairment of major bodily function. And that's political news in a nutshell. The Democrat-controlled House yesterday passed House Bill 8373, a measure aimed at protecting access to contraception. Pro-lifers worry the bill will protect abor the abortion drug Mifepristone, the first drug administered in a chemical abortion. Republican Representative Chris Smith in New Jersey told Newsmax that the bill, if it became law, could prevent future presidents from establishing policies like the Protect Life Rule, which President Trump put into effect in 2019, and that called for federal Title X funding to be withheld from family planning clinics that also offer abortion. President Biden overturned the rule last year, but Congressman Smith's concern is that the Right to Contraception Act would prevent future presidents from reinstating it. The Right to Contraception Act also was introduced in the Senate, but it's unlikely to pass there, and it's not expected to come up for a vote before the August recess. 17 Democrats in the House of Representatives were arrested for blocking traffic Tuesday as they took part in a pro-abortion demonstration outside the Supreme Court. After marching from the Capitol to the court, the group ignored orders by the Capitol Police to get out of the roadway. Among those arrested were Brooklyn Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Minnesota's Ilan Omar. Both of the abortion extremists tried to make it appear they had been handcuffed, which they were not. Their subterfuge later blew up on Twitter, with Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel saying, both AOC and Omar raised their fists in this clip. How stretchy are these handcuffs? That tweet has since been deleted. AOC defended her actions on Twitter, saying, no faking here, putting your hands behind your back is best practice when being detained, handcuffed or not, to avoid escalating charges like resisting arrest. University of Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh is making headlines for his pro-life stance. Speaking at a banquet hosted by Plymouth Right to Life in Michigan, Harbaugh said, I believe in having the courage to let the unborn be born. I love life. I believe in having a loving care and respect for life and death. My faith and my science are what drives these beliefs in me. Quoting from Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Harbaugh, a Catholic, said his parents instilled in him his pro-life convictions, which he shares with his wife, Sarah, who also spoke at the fundraiser. 
Sarah Harbaugh said her parents often would pray outside a Planned Parenthood killing center when she was a child. I have friends, even family, who have considered abortion or had an abortion, and I know they are not better for it, she said. If we had more support for women, more people who knew what really happens, we would be in a different place on this issue. The abortion landscape has remained mostly stable this week, with the exception of West Virginia, where a state judge blo blocked a pre-row ban while a challenge to the law continues. And in Georgia, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals this week allowed a heartbeat bill to be enacted. Also, embryos and fetuses are now considered persons under Georgia law. Heartbeat laws also are in effect in Ohio, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Abortion is currently illegal in Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. North Dakota and Wyoming might join that list in the near future. Several states have laws banning abortion that are currently blocked by courts. These include Idaho, Louisiana, Michigan, and Utah. 15-week bans are in effect in Florida and Kentucky, and Arizona is expected to enact its law in September. Despite its 15-week law, Florida is seeing a spike in the number of out-of-state women seeking abortions in the state. Florida already has the third highest abortion rate in the nation and is on track to double the number of abortions performed annually on out-of-state patients. Andrew Sherville, founder of Florida Voice for the Unborn, told CBS News that Florida is turning into an abortion destination state here in the South, and he called for state lawmakers to get to work on a law banning all abortion. In celebration of the United States Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, U.S. Senate Republicans Mike Rounds of South Dakota and Joni Ernst of Iowa introduced legislation this week designate, to designate June as the month of life. Every life is a precious gift from God, said Rounds. The sanctity of human life is something we should all work to protect. Republican Representative Carol Miller of West Virginia introduced similar legislation in the House. Finally, last week we reported on a Dallas woman who was pulled over for driving solo in a high occupancy vehicle lane that requires at least two people in every car. Brandy Batone pointed out to the officers that she was 34 weeks pregnant and that her unborn child should count as a passenger. The officers gave her a ticket anyway, and she was slated to appear in court on Wednesday, but that was postponed since she hired a lawyer. No new court date has been set. New research finds millions of women unaware of the adoption process and the benefits of making an adoption plan. A study conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University for the OPT Institute suggests that women who might otherwise consider adoption to be an appealing alternative are unaware of how adoption works. John Knox, founder of the OPT Institute, described the research as a tool to help educate women about adoption as an option. Knox said, Many don't know much about contemporary adoption practices and have serious misunderstandings about it. Adoption practices have improved considerably over the last few decades, but many women are unaware of those changes and do not consider adoption as a realistic option for their pregnancy. I have with me today a mother, Michaela Williams, who chose adoption for her daughter. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a very, it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, I'm I'm excited for you to tell your story. And um, before we get into, we really want to hear about the adoption and how you created the adoption plan. But before we get there, explain just a, a little bit about your your background as a child. Um, yeah, I grew up in the church, and I was attended every Sunday and Wednesday with my family. Um, about whenever I was sixth grade, my parents got divorced because of some illnesses with my mother mentally. Um, 
And unfortunately, they got divorced and my relationship with my mother was a little bit strained at the time, but the Lord brought us back together and healed that relationship. Uh, shortly after that, she entered into her second marriage and we didn't know, but it was an abusive situation and her second husband took her life. And after that, it was, um, it was hard, but my family encouraged me to go off to college. And it was nice because I could start over and nobody knew much about me and I didn't have to uh, live in that pain, so to speak, so. Okay, well, after that, you know, tragedy, and as you said, then going off to college and you grew up as a Christian, but your lifestyle changed uh, in school, didn't it, when you went away? Yes, um, I, because nobody knew my background and there was nobody really there to hold me accountable, um, I began to skip church and I was socializing at bars and other places that I should not have been, <laughs> so. Yeah. And then what happened? You met uh, someone and uh, what happened? Yes, I, I met a man who was from Kenya and he was 10 years older than me at the time. And he was here on a visa for a working visa, but he was his goal was to get a school visa. But because of his age, that wasn't granted to him. And so as we were dating, he had proposed to me about two or three months into a relationship that really kind of started putting up red flags. And um, my, my body broke out in hives and I was like, this doesn't, this isn't going to work. And so I had decided that I was going to end the relationship, but that weekend was his birthday. And so I decided that I would be, be a good girlfriend <laughs> and yes. not break up with him on his birthday. Um, unfortunately, that weekend, he took me to a barbecue with some of uh, people from his country, and he told me not to offend the host, but to consume everything that I was given. And that night, I was constantly had my wine glass full, um, liquor was given, and I was very, very ill and sick. Um, he took me home, and even though I was mostly out of it, he took advantage of me at that time. Um, after that, I got myself together. Whenever I was feeling better, I drove back home and into the relationship and bought two dogs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And then shortly after that, um, what happened? Shortly after that, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, I went to Planned Parenthood and got the test that I needed to go see the doctor. Whenever I was at Planned Parenthood, because of the situation of how the pregnancy occurred, they highly recommended that I get an abortion. And there were uh, the mention of adoption and keeping the baby was like, you know, a quick bullet point compared to the big spiel that they give you about abortion. So did you consider abortion or did you know in your heart that's not what you wanted or? I, I have to be honest, I did consider abortion because it was an easy out. And under the circumstances, it was completely um, justifiable, so to speak, according to the world standards. Mm -hmm. But I grew up loving the Psalm 139, and I knew that God created each person perfectly and wonderfully made and intentionally knit them together far, far before, long before I knew that I was pregnant. Her heart was beating. She was a human that God purposed mm -hmm. for that time. So I decided against abortion and I chose to keep her and I developed an adoption plan. Okay. And how did you do that? Did, were there people that helped you? I mean, how did you, was it 
difficult to be able to create an adoption plan? It was. It was. It, um, Planned Parenthood, like I said, their option that they wanted to offer was abortion. Mm -hmm. And I knew that wasn't what I wanted. There wasn't a lot of advertised options for adoption uh, where I lived in Oklahoma. But I got on the internet and I googled um, Christian adoption agencies and I came across an adoption network. And on their website, they had families that had kids of their own. They had families that didn't have kids yet. They had single parents and whatnot that were hoping for uh, to, to adopt. And so I found three different families. Mm -hmm. And in my heart, I really wanted someone who is Christian. I wanted a mother and a father because I firmly believe that God has perf perfectly created that unit to support children. And um, that's the perfect environment for them. Yes. <laughs> so those were kind of my stipulations for Christian and uh, parents who were in love with each other and pursuing the Lord. And from there, I interviewed only one family and I knew they were the perfect family. I shared with them my love for astronomy and stars and their name that they picked out for my daughter was uh, her middle name was going to be Star because that was the mother's maiden name. And so all throughout um, the story, God just kept on giving these little confirmations to me that this was who she need the family she needed to be a part of. And um, from there, I created the adoption plan. I kept in touch with them. Um, I got to know them a little bit more. And it was just very, very apparent that the dad loved the mother so much. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted a good role model who loved his wife well and loved his family. And that's was exactly what I found in this family. They were a homeschool family. Mm -hmm. And so they were they were in love with their kids. They wanted more kids. And this there was just lots of confirmations along the way that they were the family for my child. Sure. Well, that's wonderful. And fast forward, you did have, gave birth to a beautiful girl mm -hmm. and uh, the adoption went through. And uh, they, how old is your daughter now? She just turned 15 this summer. Okay. So she um, it is a semi-close adoption and that I don't know their address and you know all those details, but I do get letters and pictures from them occasionally as well and get to keep up with her, so. Good. Well, there's a lot more on uh, Michaela's story um, that she would love to share with you. And uh, so if you do want to know the rest of the story, please visit our website, ProLifePrimetimeNews.com. And uh, Michaela has agreed to share her entire story with us. And uh, Michaela, just as a final, you know, uh, words to us today, what would you say to someone that is considering, found out they're pregnant and just know that really they, they couldn't raise the child on their own for whatever reason, and considering abortion or adoption, what words of uh, encouragement could you offer them? Um, rely on God and, and seek the truth. Um, seek your options. There are a lot of options that I didn't know about. There's adoption with families who will let you be a part of the child's life. There are closed adoptions if that's what you desire. There's a lot of different options besides abortion that really just ends in heartache. So. And in closing, Michaela, you are married yes. and you have yeah. two beautiful children, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And uh, so thank you again uh, for joining us today and for sharing your very special story. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. 
you have an idea for a story or would like to expose something in the abortion industry, please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. We hope that you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, Oceans of Mercy, Pro-Life is the New Punk Rock, and Primetime Live with Father Frank by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. And I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.